Okay, let's uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Second Peter chapter one. Uh, and I'm so torn about saying this, um, but <clears throat> based on what Joseph just shared, I feel like I need to uh, spicy. Some of y'all may know this, but and I texted John while Joseph was up here, and and I didn't get a response. But spicy, they found breast cancer on her recent uh, checkup, and. So I've been talking with him this week and praying, and, and I, don't, I don't know how public they want that to be, but I just, uh, I don't know, man. I hope I'm being faithful to the Lord, but listening to Joseph talk about uh, the way that we're to behave and the things that, I mean, everybody here has got so much that matters to you. You know, each one of us in this room have things that we're passionate about, like that is so important to you. And I want you to think, like, what if, like, and it could be good. It could be your ministry to your neighbors. It could be your job and what you do vocationally. But what if you found out tomorrow that you or your spouse or your child had terminal cancer, you know? What would that do to, to sort of reprioritize things in your life? And um, a lot of us have learned a lot from the riding hours and, um, so I just, I want us to be in prayer there. I think, I think John told me that on the 8th, they'll learn more. So um, we'll, we'll give you more once we know more. And, uh, and, and I would say maybe even right now, uh, just let's, let's keep this in the family or in the room, you know, until I get a, a sure go ahead and we'll maybe, maybe put something out on the church's Facebook. But let's just be praying for them. They're incredible people and a huge blessing and gift to this church. So uh, Second Peter, and we're going to begin, we'll be in chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. I brought my danger glasses in case I need them, but I think I can see this actually. Um, I'm right there. I don't, know if, uh, I don't know if Jeff and Lynn are watching on Facebook, but Jeff's always kidding. Jeff and Lynn, the Taylors are uh, eye doctors here, and they have an office here and one in Peachtree, and he's always like, all right, at some point you're going to just have to go ahead and roll with it. And I made it to this year, which is, I think, pretty far to not have to need readers. And then I only have to have the one that's like 1.25, which I don't think is very big. Um, so I don't know if that means, uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it's good. I think it means I'm, I'm just in the early throes of this thing that so many of you have experienced. Um, but anyway... Uh, Jeff's like, ah, I saw you carry those glasses up there. I'm waiting. He said, he, one night, you know, these lights are so out of whack. You know, you can't, you got to, and he's like, I saw you doing this thing right here, you know. And, and uh, I was like, oh, man, shut up, Jeff. I don't need to hear that, you know. And, um, but anyway, uh, let's, let's dive into this. I want to talk about, um, I want to talk tonight and, 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 from God's word about the, what it looks like to stay faithful for the course of your life. Like you're a Christian, you're walking with Jesus. You got some of your 20 years old, some of your teenagers, and, and some of us are in the second half of life or in the last quarter of life or in the last eighth of life. How do we finish strong? How do we finish strong? How do you finish strong? How do you run the race? talking to Greg this morning my son-in-law and he he was explaining he was doing a lesson with some guys over there in Uganda and 
He said he was explaining to him the running of the race. You know, he was doing that passage in Philippians. Let us run the race that's set before us. And the guys were, were, were trying to figure out, you know, what does it mean, the race? And he was explaining, well, it's, it's an analogy. It's metaphoric. It's, 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 uh, it's saying the Christian, the Christian life is like a race, you know. And, and, he, and they said, okay, okay, we're following. And, you know, these guys have the, the funniest, coolest accents. And Greg and Kilby speak that accented English now which is comical but really effective and and uh, the guy so Greg said some people he said you know some people might start a race and then not finish it and they're like what they're just confused you know what because that's like Kenya and Uganda that's distant runners and soccer you know and why would they, why why would they not it was they didn't have a they didn't have a category for this you know Americans are better at quitting things than most people you know and uh, and so then uh, the guy, the, so he's uh, he said he said or think of a soccer game, fo- football match, which would for us would be soccer. Think of a football match and at halftime one team quit, and he said they're like falling over laughing, you know. Just he's like I didn't realize this is so funny. Apparently, and they're like ah, they didn't even finish the game. Like one guy's jumping up and down, you know. And, and so he's trying to paint this picture, and and I'm. I, but it's it's important for us to to think about this, you know. Like a lot of people, y'all, a lot of people don't finish the race. They don't. I just think. Let's just just think while I'm talking about someone you know who was walking with Jesus and now they're not. And probably most of us know someone who was a pastor, a missionary, someone who labored for the gospel, who is not only not in ministry but not walking with the Lord. How does that happen? How does that happen? And I think the cares of this world can carry us away. I think um, the, the philosophies of this world can begin to inform our Christianity more than the Word of God and the Spirit of God. When, the, when this world is telling us how to think and how to behave and how to, like, what causes we need to fight for. One of the most influential ministries in my personal life was the ministry of Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis. And right now, their entire pastoral staff and, and elder structure has completely fragmented and three pastors including their lead pastor have resigned and it's over conflict about social issues and where where the church is supposed to meet society there's tension there and as a church and, and as individuals we we have to live our lives in a way that the gospel is what's informing everything we do, that the word of God is our guide, that the spirit of God is leading us every day. And, and if we do that, we'll, we'll finish, we'll run the race. But if we quit doing that, we'll get distracted and the cares of this world will lead us away. And so Peter gives us some instruction. Now, uh, I appreciated in Zach's intro to the book last week, the focus and the emphasis there on the fact that this is, I mean, Peter's, Peter's getting ready to die. Peter's getting, he's laying down his life. This is sobering for us right now as we've watched images from Afghanistan this week and I actually saw one particular video that wasn't obviously on the news but was sent to me by a veteran buddy of a group of um, Afghan um, uh, army guys and interpreters who were executed by the Taliban. And we know that our brothers and, and sisters in the faith are being put to death by by demonically led savages who are who are killing them because they profess faith in Jesus 
and who are not killing them out of fidelity to their God, Allah, but are killing them because they will not submit to another God. They will not submit to another authority because when we're in Christ, we will only submit to Christ and we would rather die than to not submit to Christ. And so Peter goes to a Roman cross and lays his life down. Uh, uh, history records that his wife went with him. And then in fact, she, many accounts that she was led before him and that he called out to her and, and, and implored her to die like a woman who was about to see Jesus at the hands of her persecutors. And so Peter's going to say in, in verse 14, I'm, I'm putting off my body really soon. It's coming soon. So the main idea is in this sort of heavy text is that we have to cultivate our experiential knowledge of God. Cult think of cultivating. He's going to use the word stir up. We cultivate our exper experiential knowledge of God. So we know these things, but we experience God as we know these things. Many of you maybe went to, or maybe not many, but many of us, I think, have gone through my early Christian years, it was right after I got married, I went through Experiencing God by Henry Blackup. He's very influential in my life. It's these, the idea that it, there, this is an experience that I'm having. It's not just an accumulation of, uh, of sacred articles or academic knowledge, but I'm experiencing God as I learn more about him. So we cultivate our experiential knowledge. So we must cultivate our experiential knowledge and firmly hold to his promises in a world that tempts us to grasp other things. The world's going to continue to tempt us to grasp other things, maybe material things, maybe earthly relationships, maybe causes or you know, social causes that we would grab hold of, and, and, and those are good causes, you know, to, to help the poor, to fight racism or to fight for equality, something like that. Good cause, but not the main mission we've been called to so maintaining mission centrality and focus for our own lives so we'll break the passage down we're going to be uh, verses 3 through 15 we'll break it down like this we're going to look in verses 3 through 4 at the assertion that Peter makes then we're going to look in verses 5 through 8 at the application of that assertion then we're going to look in verses 10 and 11 at the appeal that he's going to make and then lastly we're going to look at the, the, the finishing work of our faith. True faith has a finishing work. So true, so, so true faith has a beginning work. It's that, it's that work that draws us to call on the name of the Lord. So if you're a Christian, you have called on the Lord by faith, you've been saved. It's, it's by grace, but it's through faith on our, and on our part. But that there's not just a starting faith, but a finishing faith. We believe firmly at Red Oak that if you are a child of God, that you will never stop being a child of God. This is a doctrine that's referred to as the doctrine of eternal security or the perseverance of the saints. Or you may have heard it said, once saved, always saved. But there are stark warnings in Scripture that walk right up to the line of seeming to defy that doctrine. Because they say things like, you're, you're, you're in the faith and now you're not in the faith and you've walked away to destruction. And the reality is there's this constant tension for the believer to measure and examine our own faith, to measure the fruit of the Spirit at work in our lives, to question ourselves and to, and to challenge ourselves. And so 
Peter's going to give us sort of this, this really practical how-to. I need how-tos. Like, I, 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 I'm not good at, I'm not good at, at theory. I need black and white, when any, anything in my life. Like, if, if, uh, and some people like to, re- like to really get into the micros of something. And some people are big picture think- uh, thinkers. Let me ask you a question, just think in your mind. Do you think in words or do you think in pictures? Does some- Let- let's do a survey. Let's do a survey. When you think, if you're, th- if you're alone in your thoughts, how many, because it's going to be probably 50-50, I'll just be honest. So, there's no- so be honest, because it's going to be divided I've done this before. Do you th- how many of you think more in words and sentences? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you think more in pictures? Okay. Now, here's a third category. Do any of you think sort of in both? Okay. I, I think I think more in both. Okay. So, so literally, we process and think about things differently. What Peter's going to do is he's going to give us words to read and think about. This is how you stay faithful and finish strong. But in doing that, he's going to paint a picture for those of us that are image, more, more image-based processors of information. And so in following this, he's going to help us know how to, he's standing on death's door and he's going, he's saying with Paul, Paul writes his last letter, I have finished the race and now I'm going to go receive the crown God has prepared for me. Peter's doing the same thing, and he, but Peter's turning around. Paul's last words were to Timothy about pastoral instruction. Here's how you need to lead the church. Peter's last words are to the church we saw last week. And he turns around and he says, before I die, let me tell you how you can get to this point well and finish the way that I'm finishing. It's sobering, man. Like sobering thing to think about. That these are his last words to us. And so break it into these four brief points. The first one is the reality of our faith. Uh, Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So the first thing he does in verses 3 and 4 is he addresses the reality of our faith. So let me give you, this is all going to be high-level stuff. This is such beautiful, deep scripture that we could literally, when we talk about preaching verse by verse, we could do a verse a week, really, to do this justice, okay? So let's go high level, and what he's saying, the reality of your faith, there's a couple of things that are the reality of our faith. If we started as Christians, the finishing work of our faith will, will, will coincide with these realities. The first is, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. He uses that word in the Greek as dunamis. It's the word we get dynamite from. So you have a word that is as explosive a word, like, like, so here we go, word image. The word processors, dynamite is the word. The image processors, dynamite blowing up. Now that's good. Now let's even the word processors, let's picture that one, okay? That's, that's, that's fun. Blowing stuff up, lighting stuff on fire. All the young dudes in the room are like, okay, I'm down with this. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is explosive as a power in our lives. This is important because the Holy Spirit is the one power that will drive out doubt. 
that will drive out the temptation to follow worldly philosophies, that will drive out the lie that you can't be happy in your current situation, that you can't fight for joy and receive it, that will drive the lies out that say live in fear, live in anxiety, live in depression, live in doubt. Those are realities, but the Holy Spirit is, is who will give us the power to endure those things or to even have victory over them. So we've got this power. But this power is specific because what this power does is this power of the Holy Spirit in us engages the knowledge of who God is. So we've been given this knowledge of who God is. You see, right, he says, he says um, that there's in verse 4, by which he granted to us, to us his precious and very great promises. So the knowledge of God under the power of the Holy Spirit, so, so knowledge in terms of what I know about who God is, what I know about scripture, what I know about life, what I know about relationships, what I know about the faith, what I know about myself, what I know about temptation. I know myself, but a knowledge of God is going to help me see myself in an appropriate way. That knowledge is empowered by God through his promises. So we endure because of and by hanging on to the promises of God. We know God, but we know God based on his promises to us. Let me read you some of those promises. These are some that I literally just jotted this down. I didn't even look all the references up, so you can go drill into this if you'd like to. But here's some promises that I know for me are fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus in me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Through Christ... Oh, great. John Rodenauer just texted me and said, that would be great. Thank you all for praying for us. <laughs> I, let, I always turn my internet off. I was like, I'm leaving it in case John texts. There we go. Okay, now I can turn that off. Okay, give me a second. Otherwise, I'll end up looking at a uh, hunting article. Okay, while I'm preaching. All right, so. <laughs> True story. Uh, easily distracted. All right. Um, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Through Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. That's a good one. That's in Romans 8. You're a conqueror. You're not a victim. Listen to me, Red Oak member. You are not a victim. You're not a victim of any circumstance. You may have been a victim, but you have been made a conqueror. You may have been abused as a child, but you have been made a conqueror. Christ has conquered the effects of that abuse in you. You may have been an addict, but you are a conqueror. This is not just a, a motivational speech. This is biblically authoritative truth. This is what you once were, but such were some of you, Paul writes to the Corinthians. Such were some of you, fill in the blank. But now there's this power in you that's greater than all of that. In Christ, I realize that God really does love me. You are loved by God. Jesus died to give me his righteousness, and I'm a member of the household of God sitting at the big table. Not at the little fold-out card table when I outgrew it and I hit 6'3 in the ninth grade and I'm sitting at that little chair still at my grandparents because there's so many aunts and uncles and cousins. And I was like, seriously, I'm still at the little table? I just want to sit up here. Of course, once I got up there, I wanted to go back to the little table. They're way too serious up here. Too many people smoking and drinking alcoholic beverages and it was confusing. I just want to go to the little table, you know? <laughs> in Christ I realized that God really does love me he's, he's brought me into his household 
I'm a co-heir with Jesus. Jesus began a good work in me. Jesus will be faithful to complete that work. That's that finishing work of faith. I've been saved by grace. No one will pluck me from the hand of God. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus. I'm adopted as a son. The Holy Spirit is in me. Jesus will never leave me. Jesus will never forsake me. Jesus has justified me. Jesus will glorify me. God loves me. These are the promises of God. These These promises are what activate the knowledge of who God is. Listen to what Packer says in Knowing God. What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. Once you have become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. Once you know God and you understand your purpose, Red Oak, is to know God. That's what you're created for. We're, see, we're created, we come into the world, we're in broken fellowship with God, so we don't know God. We just don't. Like, like sobering reality check. We are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. But when we know God through the power of the resurrection of Jesus, we become not only his children, but we become his workmanship. He's working on us. He's doing a thing in us. He's granted us great promises. We could continue on and on, but let's get to verse 5 where he goes from the reality of our faith to now the response of our faith. Verse, verse 5 through 8, verse 5 through 8, this is, <laughs> 5 through 7 is, this is that, okay, here's the to-do. Verbal processors, list makers, spreadsheet people, we got a bunch of them in here. This is where you guys thrive but the warning for you is don't become legalistic as a Christian. And then for those of us that are more like me that are like, woohoo, fly by the seat of your pants. It'll all work out. Let's crash and burn. It'll be a good ride. It's like, nope, nope. You got to get on this deal and there's got to be order in your Christian life. There has to be a plan and a strategy. There's a danger, however you're wired, there's a danger that you would either become legalistic or that you would become so loose and free in your Christianity that you would drift off into this nothingness. So we've all got to, like, and you know how you're wired, right? You know if you're the spreadsheet person or if you're, if, you're the, if you're the guy in the old 80s movies that had the pen protector and the pocket, the calculator watch, like Dwight Schrute or whatever. You know, like, you're like, you know if you're that guy, okay? And you know if you're the guy that was like, I don't know. It'll all work out. Oh, I, I don't, I'll tell you when I put gas in my car, when I run out, then I just, I'll keep a, I keep a gallon jug in the back and then I hitchhike. You know, like, like there's that category. There's the spreadsheet category. And most of us are somewhere in between. And the reality is, Figure out what the way you process, but here is the wording and the picture that's being painted for me is the picture of a ladder. Think of a ladder or a stair step, or I thought about an escalator. And then I was like, I gotta stop being illustrative. Just let's go with the ladder. Okay. Let's just stick with one. Okay. So ladder. Here's the ladder. Okay. And he says, here's the ladder. Now, the response of our faith is that we get on the ladder. So as a Christian, when faith was infused into you, you stepped onto the ladder. So we're all on the ladder as Christians. Now, each of these will build on the next. The first one is faith, verse 7. I mean, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So James writes that faith without works is dead. I like to say true faith sweats. It sweats. 
So, so how does our faith sweat? Well, we supplement or add to our faith virtue. What is virtue? A person of virtue is a person who is honorable. It's a person who will always strive to work to do the right thing. A person of virtue is generous and does not show partiality. So my faith is working and sweating. And then I'm, 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 I'm adding to that virtue. I'm becoming an honorable person. I'm striving to be honorable. My yes is yes. My no is no. Then he says, add to that knowledge. So grow in your increasing knowledge of who God is. I met a dude this summer, and he was here again this weekend for our Iron on Iron Student Ministry Conference. And this cat, he's probably 30, um, uh, 20 years old. Old folks, older we get, like 20 and 30, seem about like one blur, right? So 20, 30, somewhere down there, under half century, you know. So, um, so he's about 20, maybe, maybe 22. And uh, so I'm talking to him. I said, hey, man, what kind of work you do? He said, oh, I build pools. And I was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'd like to have a pool. Let's talk about getting a pool in my yard, you know. So, so uh, then he says, well, no, no, I'm, I'm just a, I'm like a, I'm a laborer. I just run a shovel. I was like, you don't even get like, a ex- you don't get cool, you don't get cool toys? Your excavator? Big excavator? Little, little excavator? No, just a shovel. He's like, but it's good, man, because all day long I just listen. I've been a Christian for less than a year, and all day long I just listen to godly content. I was like, yeah, all right, tell me what you've been listening to. I'm thinking like Charles Swindoll. That's what I listened to the first two years of my Christianity. Like he tells stories, illustrations. He's kind of grandfatherly. What'd you listen to? Well, last week I listened to Calvin's Institute. So I, I was like, I choked. I'm like, no, okay, did you know what he was talking about? He's like, oh, yeah, man, it's awesome. The more I talk, some of you are like, what's Calvin's Institutes? Like, they give you a he- like brain freeze, okay? Like, that's, that's heavy stuff. So I realized this dude is on this accelerated path of growth because he's adding to his faith and his virtue knowledge. There's a pursuit of knowledge. Self-control, he goes on. Keep going. He goes on and says, uh, uh, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, self-control is the fruit of the spirit. It's a sound mind. Uh, self-control is the refusal to yield to the demands of the flesh or the world. I'm going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That self-control is submitting to the Holy Spirit, refuse to yield to the demands of the world. In self-control, we're going to reject worldly ideas, look out for worldly ideas when it comes to dealing with the deep issues of the heart. The world doesn't have the answers for us. The world doesn't determine for us what is virtuous. No one can control you if you're committed to self-control. Nobody can make you lose your mind. Nobody can make you lose control. Because if it's self-control submitted to the Holy Spirit, which is the dunamis, the power of God at work in us, you like that's powerful enough to not let someone else take control. This is where a lot of us need to stop on this rung and now picture the escalator. And you're going backwards on it, but like, like you're standing in one place, stepping. St- like we need, to, we need to get this one because a lot of us, we allow work to control us. We allow our spouse to anger us, our children to anger us. We allow someone to control our joy. If you can't control your anger towards a person or situation, that person or situation is in control of you. They're in control of you. Bitterness, anger, whatever. And you say, man, get on the ladder, and as you add to your faith virtue and knowledge and self-control is going to come where God controls you by spirit. Then steadfastness. As steadfast people, we've been called to fight. Fight for the pursuit of holiness. Fight to continue even when you've fallen. Fight the darkness with the light of the gospel. Fight lies with truth. Fight temptation with the sword of the spirit. Fight bitterness with the heart of forgiveness. Fight wantonness and greed with contentment. Fight envy with satisfaction that comes from knowing and surrendering to Jesus. Fight for those who can't fight for themselves through pinwheel, through what Kilby and Greg are doing, through praying for our brother B, 
Fight for those that are in positions where they need something greater fighting for them. Fight for those that can't fight for themselves with the courage and determination that the Lord supplies. Fight smart. Fight dirty. There's no, like, like in a street fight, there ain't no rules. You bite whatever you can get a hold of. You pinch, claw, rake, kick, eyeball. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if, you, if you get in a street fight, you know what ain't going to happen? No, it's like cats in a bag, you know, like, like flipping and flopping. Like, who, where, who, where's he start? Where's he? Like, that's a street fight. The Christian life is sometimes described as a boxing match, but that's more in terms of the process of sanctification. When it comes to fighting for my own holiness every day, it's a, man, it's a dog fight. It's like fighting for what, so the word of God is the sword of the spirit that I fight with. It's not, see, what happens is you're, you're not cheating, but you're just overwhelming the enemy when the sword of the Spirit is at work. And then add to that godliness, and godliness, verse 7. Peter breaks down godliness into three things uh, back in 1 Peter. He breaks it down in, uh, in chapters 2 and 4 into submission, a willingness to embrace suffering, and service. You want to you wanna, you wanna frame godliness with, with defined like, like words that help you go, okay, what is godliness? Is it like, is it like, you know, you're a new Christian? You know, he's doing, hum, 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 hum. Is it, do I have to walk with my hands clasped behind my back and slump my shoulders? Is that, no, that's like, uh, that's like false piety maybe. Like, no, godliness is, summed up by Peter in these three things, submission. We submit to God. We submit to one another. A willingness to embrace suffering and service. Peter's calling us to live the ultimate Christ-like life in these three things. These three things are perfectly on display in Jesus' life and ministry. And then he says, out of that brotherly affection, in verse 7, Jesus said we're to be known by the way we love one another. Our affection and love toward one another grows as our love toward Jesus grows. And last, he says, God is love. And, and so we're to add to that love. God is love, and we've built up to this point of experiencing the love of God and so, so here's the thing, when we're on that ladder, it's a continual cycling through each of these to the point that sometimes this whole ladder is happening daily and moment by moment. I'm working out my faith. I'm living virtuous. I'm growing in my, in, in my knowledge of God. I'm, I'm steadfast. This is, and if I'm cycling through these things, then guess what? A person that's cycling through that is not walking away from Jesus and is not drifting. It's not. You can't do it. You can't do this and drift. So that brings us to the results of our faith. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's like the most self-explanatory Bible verse I've ever read in my life. If you do these things, you'll be fruitful and effective. How cool would it be if you knew your life was going to matter and count for something better than and bigger than yourself? If you're going to live effective Christianity, then get on the ladder. And what he's saying is in verse 8, the first result of these qualities is that we'll be effective. Now go back to the first thing we talked about. The result of being on this ladder and pursuing and working through these qualities is that we will be effective and fruitful in our knowledge of the Lord by the power of the Lord. We talked about knowledge and power at the beginning. So this ladder enacts the effectiveness and the faithfulness of knowledge and power. Power that's not 
coming from a person that's working through this turns into just heavy-handed legalism. Knowledge that doesn't come from this process is knowledge that's just an accumulation of facts that seems arrogant. Well, he thinks he knows everything. But knowledge and power that flow from this process, that's the result of true faith. And it'll make us fruitful and effective. Let's live fruitful and effective lives. That'd be awesome. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. In verse 9, Peter writes that the person who lacks these spiritual virtues is able to see earthly things that are nearby, but unable to see heavenly things that may seem far away. And I think this is critical to people that drift away and, and dive into progressive Christianity and follow the world's definition of Christianity. As they begin to focus on nearby things, earthly things concerns and things and they forget to maintain a heavenly focus and we're led away he's forgotten the greatest reality of the gospel namely that a righteous God has forgiven sinners this ladder keeps us in a place where as we're working through these things we're growing in faith we're growing in steadfastness I'm remembering Jesus constantly it's so important we work we fight we run we plow we deliver these are words that the word of God uses to describe the Christian life it's a labor, it's a work. And lastly, the final thing, number four, is the resilience of faith. Verses 12 through, uh, I'm sorry. Number uh, three, I'm sorry, I jumped over number three. The result of our faith. Did I say the result of our faith? Okay, great. All right. Whew, I thought I missed the title. I already covered all the content. I thought I missed the title, which Zach missed a whole page last week. I only missed one point. If I'm keeping, if I'm keeping up with Zach, feeling good. <laughs> feeling good about myself like, okay all right Zach's really smart you seeing pictures or words makes sense I would have guessed that I see in little Debbie's <laughs> it's snow cones like my knife you know like I think about stuff like that <laughs> some of y'all that's why you come to Red Oak others endure the weeks when I preach Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a community, okay? So number four, the resilience of faith. Let's wrap it up. We're at 32 minutes. I really want to do this in 35. It's going to be more like 37. I'm sorry. You're welcome, depending on which side of that argument you land on. All right, so verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. So that goes back to what he's saying in 8 and 9. So 8, 9, and 10, he's saying, if you're doing these things, you will not be ineffective. So here's the results. I'll give you three results here as we're landing the plane. You will not be ineffective. You will not be unfruitful. And you will not fall away from Jesus. If you are adding to your faith virtue, knowledge, steadfastness, brotherly love and affection, love of God, love of people. Verse 11, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying at the end of that ladder, the gate of heaven will open up and we'll enter into the kingdom of God. That's what Peter was facing at the moment he wrote this. So the resilience of faith in verse 12 is summed up this way. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you, uh, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Three times he's going to say, I remind you, I remind you, I remind you. Verse 12, I remind you. Verse 13, by way of reminder. 
Verse 15, to recall these things. He's saying, remember these things. Stir. This needs to be stirred up in us. My first experiences with chocolate milk were white milk, Hershey syrup. Not the same as going to Ingalls and buying a bottle of Promised Land chocolate milk because it has been properly stirred. Coming, coming, coming down the road the other day with Mo, and we got a, uh, we got a, a slushy from Taco Bell. We have recently, as a family, been on a tear where we have literally sought out Pelican Snowball stands. And if you've never experienced Pelican Snowballs, you've got to get on the train. Here we go. Chew, chew, toot, toot. It's going to be worth it, okay? They got, they got flavors that will make your mind swirl. And Pelican Snowballs are phenomenal because it's the right amount of juice that you run out of juice. You never run out of juice. You don't suck it all out and then you've got a cup full of ice. Cup full of ice is good unless it's supposed to be a snowball. What, what happens when you got that snowball, that, that snow cone, like Mo got that thing yesterday and he's, he's slurping on that thing and all of a sudden he's like, ah, I'm not getting any more and he shows it to me. And I'm like, let me show you how, to, how this works. And we shake that and we beat the bottom of that cup and we take the, the, the straw and we stir it up and pretty soon we get it stirred back up and it's flavorful again. This word picture of stir these things up. Stir up the love of God in your heart. How? By serving others. Stir up brotherly affection. How? By preferring other people. Stir up virtue. How? By being an honorable man or woman. Stir it up. The Spirit of God at work in us will empower these things. The real resilience of faith, the real reality of finishing strong is the constant stirring up and reminding what we know to be true and what we've seen God do. In conclusion, the last words that Peter will share with the church is that he's lived a life that has consistently reflected the pursuit of the Lord and a love for God. And as he nears the end, he looks at us and he challenges us to get on this ladder and take the journey that he's just taken. And we will finish strong. And you will finish faithful. And you will walk through the door and hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't drift. You didn't follow the lies of the world. You loved each other well. You finished strong. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your kindness, your love, your mercy, your strength at work in us. God, every day uh, that we walk with you is a, is a gift. God, there are people in our church right now that are, that are facing difficulty and hardship, that are hurting, that are in uh, a place of conflict. There are tensions and, and, and marital struggles and family strains over wayward children. There are uh, struggles of jobs, finances, people that have bills due this week and don't know how they're going to pay them. Those are the things that so easily and quickly distract us, confuse us, get us off the ladder. We got to pray that we'd focus on these things, that we would chart it out, that we would remember it, that we would picture it, and that we would be on this journey, and that God, everybody in this room would finish strong, whether it's a year from now or 70 years from now, that we'd still be walking with Jesus. There's people in this room that have a long, a lot of years of journey ahead of them. But I pray that we as a people would collectively and individually stay faithful to the end by the power of God and an increasing knowledge that's at work. And pray that now you would move our hearts to worship in song in Jesus' name. Amen.